0: Welcome to Visma ski Classics podcast, Levinio to Levin. Visma Ski Classics is the long-distance ski championships with 12 Pro Tour events and 35 Pro teams, bringing professional and recreational skiers together. We will analyze the events on the tour, portray the legends of the sport, and help you to become a better skier. Hello, folks. Once again, this is Livinio to Levy podcast and the season is over, but we are still kicking as always. And this particular episode, we are going to recap the whole season. I am your host, Demo Virtanen, and my special guests today are David Nielsen, the CEO of Wismas Key Classics, and Anton Karlsson, athlete who actually announced his retirement. but. He is still active because he has been appointed to be a new sports manager in Wismas Ski Classic. So guys, it's really great to have you here. We're going to talk about this whole season, a look uh, upon the future a little bit as well. But Anton, let's get started with you. I mean, a couple weeks ago, the season, uh, you had your last race, the season was over. And after that, you announced that you are uh, going to retire, leave skiing behind. Are you now in terms with that decision? Or are you having any regrets?
1: <laughs> no, I'm in terms with, the, with that decision and uh, it feels great actually. Uh, first, At first it was uh, very emotional and uh, a bit had a bit of a hard time, but now it feels really good and I'm very excited for the future.
0: But you made that decision a while back, correct? It just, it just didn't come out of the blue?
1: Now, uh, I started thinking about it this uh, last fall, and uh, yeah, uh, it, it grew on me, so to say, uh, and uh, eventually I, uh, I uh, decided to, to stop skiing at the highest level and uh, start uh, the normal life, so to say.
0: <laughs> Who did you tell that first? Who was the first person to know that beside, beside you yourself? My, uh, my fiance and my family. And then, when did the, your team come into the picture?
1: Uh, actually, I didn't tell them before before the last race. Uh, I kept it for myself until uh, actually the Monday after Sloppet because uh, I wanted the whole team to stay focused on the Emil's yellow bib, and so we, we could work for him and keeping the focus the whole the whole way in until it was finished. And, uh, then we had the party and I didn't want to destroy that, and then uh, yeah, <laughs> it felt like a good time that Monday after Lopez to, to re- reveal my new plans.
0: Were they shocked when they heard about it? Uh, some were,
1: some weren't. Uh, uh, a bit of them uh, know me a little bit uh, better than others, but uh, mostly of them was quite shocked, actually. Especially since uh, the the ending of the season was uh, quite good for me. So.
0: But now you have a new job. You are actually the sports manager. You kind of overseeing the sports side of things in Ski Classics. That's probably something that really fits you like a glove.
1: Yeah, it feels amazing, actually. Uh, going into this with uh, the two big uh, interests I have in my life, which is uh, skiing and economics. so. Uh, I feel like I can contribute to David and the team, in both in the knowing of uh, ski, cross-country skiing and uh, also coming out with some ideas for, for for the economic parts also. So it feels it feels like I've been very good welcomed and I'm uh, very eager to get started.
0: So David, how did this come about? I mean, did you approach him? Did you have him in mind or did this kind of happen? That you know, Anton became you know the new sports manager.
2: Me and Caroline, we have this small black book. We call it. where We kind of note down the you know, people we see within the tour that we believe can have we can have use of, so to say, in the future in ski classics. So Anton was one of those that we kind of been following for a while and seeing that these, you know interest of more than on the skiing. And I think, and uh, as as we know, Anton so far and from before, it's it's also very good team player. I think that's important when you work in such a close team as we are in, in this Wismaske Classics that we need to have people that are altruistic more than egoistic that you think what can we do to make the tour better and maybe not what you, the people can do to make themselves better. So I think seeing that and uh, if you haven't listened to it I think everyone should try to find Vasa Podden a couple of episodes ago where Anton had his own uh, Story of his career. It was a fantastic uh, uh, podcast as well. I think you should listen to it if you haven't done it. It's it, in the format of a summer or winter talk, as we know in Sweden what that is. So, uh, so I think you know it was quite. Uh, say, we were, we've been waiting. Some other skiers out there too are waiting for them to quit, and then we kind of. Uh, it, but it's important for our side also that they really make you know, we don't approach them before they make the decision uh, to stop because we we don't want to push them in a direction they need to be ready with their decision and then then uh, we try to try to grab anton as soon as possible for someone else did and uh, we were happy to to succeed in that i'm sure he will contribute a lot over time with um, you know one thing is where we are today but it's about developing to the future if we don't develop constantly then we are by default under deconstruction so to say so we need to continue the the influences from other sports other things in entertainment etc to, to grow the sport and i think anton has an interest for that as well Is interesting in more than just skiing which i think is very important for for that and then we have been from uh, from the tour side kind of searching for this skier which has been you know that can represent not represent the athlete but there are even closer than me and Caroline to, to the sport itself. And Anton coming directly from the, from the pro team, because it's been such a, such a development the last five, six years. So it's a huge difference from when I started working with Wisniewski Classics and so on, and what has become the last year. So I think it's important to have continuity there and get fresh inspiration and information from, from an athlete that just, just finished a career. So. I'm sure over time it will uh, it will be great. And uh, as we told Anton, uh, no pressure on him. It will take. It's a new. He's been a skier for more or less all his life. So of course it's been a little bit time to adjust to to not being skier, being in a civilian life, so to say. So it will be great. But we will also not put pressure and give time to Anton to to get warm and feel comfortable.
0: So it certainly sounds like he has a huge responsibility eventually. But what could be kind of the things that he needs to tackle on right away, or what are you hoping him to put, like the first thing he needs to do?
2: Well, first he, job. It's not our our thing in W Sports Media to make a slow start, so we're kind of throwing into all kind of different meetings already. The first, even if he hasn't officially started until May, he's kind of been part of a lot of meetings. So we're trying to just. Um, you know, get as much information as possible as soon as possible and it's a great time to actually start because now when the skiers and the pro teams uh, take a little bit of rest holiday and you know, their season is over our season is far from over in the in the tour we have the most intensive period in april may every year where we're both wrapping up the previous season and planning for the next and planning for the launch of 15 of may for the next calendar so uh, it's a very intense period, so it's great for Anton to join us now because there's a lot of things happening. And then, then uh, we will sort out after a while the, the specific task, but it's, it's a lot of things to do within the, within the Tour at the moment.
0: Speaking of which, I mean, this weekend was supposed to be the last weekend of the season, uh, Ullas-Levi uh, in Finland. But what have you been doing since the season uh, uh, stopped, finished?
2: Anton or me?
0: You. What are you, asking? you. You. Uh,
2: well, uh, we have been uh, working, so <laughs> it's a it's an extremely intense period after the season, as I said. So we've been, uh, you know, going through a lot of uh, the events for that are have a lot of interest for the next season. Uh, so that's very very positive. That uh, so many new events that would like to be part. But on the other hand, it's also bigger, maybe not heard of but it's. It's a bigger climb to get into the Pro Tour because we are evolving every year. So, so we are working with a couple of newcomers, so to say, and see if they are ready to enter already next year in the circus and so on. So we've been very intensive with that, and that also go through all the feedback uh, stuff that we have after after season to see what we can develop. It's very important, as I said before, for for us in the tour to. To work with kaizen, as the Japanese people say, with constant development, that we try all the time to find the small, small changes with, which we can approve and, and so on. So um, it's been quite hectic, to be honest, from my side.
0: We will talk about that uh, later on, the kind of the future. I know that you can't reveal, it, reveal too much at this stage. Uh, in mid-May, we'll get the, the calendar for next season. But next, we will start recapping this particular season. So David, let's start with an overall recap, and then we go race by race. Uh, but when you kind of look back, I remember that you were really positive when this season started. I think you was the most positive person. All of us were like, mm, this is really a tough season. Let's see how this can turn out. And it actually turned out to be really great. Eight races uh, towards the end, you were even able to pull pull out some new events and stuff like that. But now when you kind of look back you had a little bit of, I know you've been working quite a lot, but a little bit of time between the last race and and, and today. Uh, And now kind of looking back, reflecting upon this particular winter. What are kind of the overall thoughts that you have right now?
2: Yeah, uh, relief, I would say is the first word that comes to mind because when, like you said, it's my job to, to not only Stay positive, and uh, I mean, of course, realistic, but positive. But also to inspire the teams and the athletes to keep focused, so we kind of don't lose track of what what we're supposed to do. And that's kind of my my role to to carry that flag. So, of course, um, even if I was maybe, uh, as you say, very positive in the fall, we had uh, already in the in the aftermath of last season ten we. We of course started very carefully following the developments over time, and we were quite worried for a long time over over the summer and the last fall. And in November, we had the meeting in the board where we were actually seriously considering to to drop the whole winter, this winter, to actually stop the calendar. We were evaluating: Is it what if at the first event we get 10, 15 positive cases? What do we do then? I mean, what, can it hurt the brand more? To do the tour than to actually stop it before it happens. So we we were con- seriously considering to actually taking a you know going like a bear into the hibernation mode for one year and then come back even stronger for season twelve. And we, we were not so to say okay, we were still on the positive side to go, but we, but it was a serious topic to discuss in the board of it when when I proposed the different options, so to say. But at the moment, of course, we're happy that we that we went to push on the tour. We, we when we were in October, November and decided to go for the plan B, moving events to after Christmas. We were, you know, quite sure that everything looked like in the second wave, or uh, it's been so many waves now, I think it was the second wave. And then, you know, quite sure that it's gonna kind of be better over time. But actually it turned out to be worse over time that actually Norway and Sweden were closing down more and more, and Finland as well and so on. So it became a more and more narrow sight field for where we could operate the tour. So uh, when, we, when we came, of course, we can come back to, to the last events, But the overall was that I think I felt in the end of the season, that not only from our from the crew, but from the crew teams, the athletes that mentally this was a tough season, that there's been so many changes. It was tough. And people didn't know what's going to happen next week, That. When we pulled off the season with, uh, with the great Orpheus Lopet this year, I think everyone felt some kind of relief. That, that's kind of there. It was not like happiness, it was, not, it was just relief, like the, hey, we did it now, let's breathe kind of feeling.
0: And then, Anton, what about you and particularly your team? I know that it must have been really difficult for teams to travel with the uh, testing and the kind of the bubble that you needed, needed to create. But how did it actually work out? This season. Uh,
1: overall, uh, it was wasn't a big problem. Uh, you, we, we were, uh, what do you say? We 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 had a half a half a year to to discuss and how how to solve the problems. And uh, I think uh, David and the the whole crew did a fantastic job, first of all. And uh, yeah, all the testing and all, all places that I always felt very safe and uh, then we took some good decisions first one was traveling by car all the way from us down to the first event in la diagonella which took us almost yeah a two full two two and a half days in the car and uh, so such things but uh, we have no no uh, negative uh, no positive <laughs> tests of course and uh yeah I was, uh, i'm very impressed by the organization in what they had to do and solve the, all the problems with the, all the that came up with the all the new quarantine rules and so such and uh yeah i'm just uh, super happy in the after and here uh now uh, having the what do you say like the yeah we, we got to have a tour and that's. Uh, was not nothing that we could count on last summer so we're really happy about that
0: many norwegian team pro teams said that their biggest problem was that they couldn't really take all the people with them meaning usually the service people uh so they really had a disadvantage there what about you guys were you able to have your full crew with you
1: yeah we could have a Uh, not a full crew, but a smaller crew. Uh, normally we have uh, what, some new guys uh, each uh, each event, just to not wear the waxes the out. But uh, this year we had uh, the same waxes the whole, whole season. So that was the first one, and uh, it worked out fine. We didn't have those extreme quarantine rules that I had in Norway. So... Um, that worked out fine for us. Of course, it was uh, more more work for our workers, and I'm forever thankful for, for the job they're doing. And um, but I think it sold out very good. You you develop a system that works, and you adjust if you have to adjust. And uh, yeah, we're all very focused on just getting good results, so it's not really a, a big problem. You you are. You're willing to take the sacrifices,
0: and one big thing uh, must have been uh, the fact that you guys didn't have the big mass. The you know the the regular folks. Uh, it was pretty much racing uh, amongst you, yourselves. How did that affect kind of the atmosphere, kind of the behind the scenes feeling? For example, Vasa which is usually hundreds of thousands of people there, including the audience. Now just you guys. Yeah, it was
1: for sure it was different, but uh, uh, I don't know what to say. But listen, when you're racing, you're, it's not your fullest uh, focus. It's not the, the, the audience and such. But uh, of course, standing there on the start line at Vassalopet with 16,000 other people is, is a wonderful feeling that we didn't have this year. But uh, uh, as I said before, I'm just very happy that we could have Vassalopet is this, uh, pande-
0: uh, during this pandemic, I would say. Uh, David, what about you? I mean, how how different was that from the the organizers' perspective? That now you only needed to uh, focus on our skiers, pro-, pro team athletes, not the whole big.
2: Yeah, hoopla- I mean that's normally what we do so far in this massiv class. That we are focusing on, so say, so the event is. We're helping them with the elite part of the race, so, so I would say that is not a huge difference because there is our main focus. Even if, we're of course, missing our recreation skiers, which is kind of making us filling out the the, the tour values, which feels very empty without all the recreation skis. But but I say from our side, we did. I mean, um, what Anton was speaking about, we did we did over 4,000 tests. I think between four or five thousand. COVID-19 test. That was the athletes. It was also the, the test of the the crew and uh, the event people. And we had zero na- positive cases to And that's we had two cases which was positive on the antigen, but but then day after they were into quarantine, and the day after they went uh, into uh, negative on the PCR. And uh, one of them was, was one of a skido driver at one event, and so we had. Uh, you know, to cope with having actually one of the skido cameramen, so he was not there, so we had to put another guy in on the skido, and um, uh, and also from uh, from the crew side, we had our race director Thomas who and and got COVID nineteen. He was supposed to be race director for last one so we had to change them. But and uh, but I think that the differences we see is also a lot of positive things that comes out of this uh, COVID nineteen season that we had to test. One is the of course you yourself, Timo, you were commentating from Finland. You were not normally you're on site, now you're commentating. We had a, a quite complicated technique loop to be able to make your commentary in Finland, and we did the production somewhere else. But it worked, so it, it's good knowledge to have that. We tried to do a remote production, we actually had a TV production based in Paris for a couple of events. Uh, yes, a little bit of trials for, for future. This year we had to do it also because we had some positive cases on the TV personnel back in. We used some people from. Well, we have from different nationalities, were from one of the countries they um, had some positive uh, tests in the cruise, so they couldn't travel out. So we figured out to make a safe ending. So we we did remote uh, production, which worked. We learned a lot about uh, how to do it, and it worked great. But we also had digital press conferences with with the skiers on a Wednesday, Thursday, instead of having collecting them, making interviews in the trailer the day before, we did it in the midweek. We did digital uh, team captains meeting uh, with. Um, you know, one year ago, we barely didn't know about teams. I mean, now we have uh, thousands of teams meetings in one year. So so, uh, so it's a lot of changes that we have done that we definitely will continue with for the future as well. That that's uh, one of my reflections that we, I, I don't think we will ever see a physical team captain's meeting again, for example, I think they work much better with having the, the digital side. So yeah, it, it's um, you learn things as well when things are different.
0: Yeah, there's always another side of a coin, and that's a good point. You know, we learned quite a lot. You know, from from this season. Anything, uh, Anton? Uh, anything that you guys learned? I mean, those things that David said that are really good things that we can utilize uh, next year uh, for this Muskeg Classics. But what about something that your team learned that could you could take from this year and continue doing in the future as well?
1: Mm, uh, first of all, we we. We've been very healthy in the team. Uh, we haven't had a single, you know, standard flu—not not COVID-19, but not a, not even a single flu. So, so we must have done something right, uh, and that's absolutely something that we're going to—that not mean anymore, <laughs> but uh, but I think they will have the uh, use for that in the, in the next coming seasons and keeping keeping themselves healthy and uh,
0: and, strong, and strong during the season. So do you think that this kind of bubble idea that uh, had to be created for uh, Corona could continue? Because as you said, you've been really healthy, all of you, lots of you. You're not the only one saying that, you know, uh, people probably realize that, hey, actually, this is the way to stay healthy. Yeah, skiers in general has
1: always been very careful with this, but uh, this year it uh, took an edge and uh, everyone took it one step further and, and that has really paid off for everyone and keeping healthy. So I really think that it opens uh, opens some eyes in how, how uh, good you can be at it. And uh, if you're aiming for a total, like the champion bib or the sprint bib or, or so on, it's very, very, very uh, important to stay healthy so absolutely they, they will have a good use for that
0: next next season So David this uh, muqui classic as a brand also grew quite a lot this this season and uh, expanded. Let's talk about that a little bit I mean there's you have some good news about new territories that this uh, muqui classics the brand itself uh, has conquered so to speak. And uh, so, could you please shed a little bit more light on that?
2: Yeah, for, first, I would like to finish off uh, the COVID-19 discussion. That I'm, I'm, I'm very proud and very thankful being responsible for a tour which has such a good squad of pro teams, pro team directors, and athletes. They're really responsible, and the, everyone did their part this winter, and that that's um, very delighting for for me to see that we all. We actually did it together that we tried to be safe they did the bubbles in a fantastic way and they took the responsibility all of us took the responsible we could as good as we can Uh, so um, i'm very thankful for that we together created the tour because this season really feels like that that we did this the proteins that we all understood it was a complicated difficult time but we did it together and, and we delivered a great tour so i'm very thankful yeah, coming into your question then uh, about uh, markets, there. Yeah, we have a lot of. It feels like every year we're taking small steps, and I, that's kind of what I like to do: organic growth. That we actually, you know, we we, we have a steady path, and it's a up, positive uphill curve, so to say. That we we try to develop over time, and we feel that the that uh, I think that the athletes feel also that they get the more and more attention, so to say. I guess that's somehow to measure it. We had this winter, we had you asked about there's some new territories, well, we had we had Russia before, but this winter we had, uh, for example, Match TV then in Russia, broadcasting the whole season, and I just got to the TV season that day, and it was actually fantastic numbers in Russia. We had more, I think we actually have more viewers in Russia for Vasalopet than in Sweden on SVT. We had 2.1, 2.1 million viewers in Russia for Vasalopet, and in total over 10 million viewers. In Russia for the season, so so that's fantastic that we're uh, getting a stronger position in the world's biggest ski market, which Russia actually is. So so that's a that's a big increase. Then we feel in the Scandic the territories that we are, I mean, we we're growing year by year, and of course everyone knows what's happening. Not everyone knows maybe, but I guess it's, quite many people know there's going to be change uh, next year in the media landscape for winter sports in Scandinavia. So so we know that it's going to you know, most likely put even more light on the tour for next uh, winter to come. And we feel that it's building up towards that as well. So, uh, but, but we kind of focus on my side, I'm, I'm very much focused on doing, you know, that we do a good job with the small details, improving all the time and then, kind of the exposure we deserve you know you get what you deserve you cannot ask for more attention so to say you you get what you deserve i think if we do a good product the the attention will come we're not kind of searching for
0: it if i say like this good and next we'll talk about the the season or the each event one by one and kind of analyze them and and also if you have any i mean you guys as you said, you guys were there, I wasn't there. I had to do the commentary remotely from Helsinki. So you guys probably have some uh, cool stories, some you know, funny incidents that might have happened behind the scenes. So we'll talk about those next. La Diagonela, that was the first race. Of course, it wasn't supposed to be the first one uh, since the season was going to, uh, was supposed to get started uh, in Livigno and then of course La Venosta, but then uh, the plan B uh, kicked in and La Diagonella was the uh, the, the first race. David, of course, that race kind of became to be known as the one that was, you know, the race that was extremely cold, you know, the cold weather. But now kind of looking back uh, on that, you know, that was the first one in mid-January. What are your feelings about that race right now?
2: But before La Diagonella everything was so uncertain. And if we, you know, were not nervous but we were kind of tense. I remember the the days before Christmas and New Year. Me and Caroline were on our different home offices working, you know, mostly more or less day and night to be ready for all this understanding the different COVID rules valid for Switzerland depending on where you came from and all that. So it was so much hassle, if I say like that, before Diagonella, just coming into Switzerland. We had the special permits for for Swedish persons, for example, which I'm me myself, I'm Swedish. So uh, because Sweden was on the red list, I think it was pretty much the only country on this dark red list or whatever color. It Turned out to be a lot of colors that we. In the beginning, it was like green or, or red, and then it was even different colors of red and so on. So yeah. in Italy, so we got more and more confused of the color system in Europe, but. Uh, But we took a decision quite late. We had the plan to move also the Protein tempo from Levigno to Diagonella and have it two days before the the this is a mass start race, Diagonella. But we took a decision there that no, we have to keep it safe. Basically, doing it as simple as possible, less exposure possible, trying to get a good race with no COVID cases. That was the main focus. And I think when we came there, from I think that the before it was such, um, everyone was so focused on the COVID-19 when it was the first event in the pandemic. We kind of no one know really what expected us when we drive. I was also driving my own car down to the Alps, you know, passing the borders. How is going to work? Do, do they? Do I need some special? It took a couple of races before it got warm in, in operating in this pandemic climate, if you understand me. So that was what I took. Me. But then then the race itself was of course, it was very cold, so uh, uh, that's kind of the big, of course, uh, memory, but it was also a great achievement by the move, the, you know, the move, the, uh, the finish line to be more COVID safe there in Diagonella And the, the organization did a really fantastic job. They were, you know, getting us, getting the permits, everything. It's such, comp- every, all the small things becomes complicated in a winter like this, so. I'm very thankful also to, to Ramon Ratti and, the, and the, the the team in La Diagonela for kicking off the season in such a good way. And of course, the weather, we are a winter sport and there's a lot of things we can learn how to communicate and form better and so on. But in general, we will operate in extreme conditions. We're not an indoor sport, so we need to be ready for it in different ways, the teams, the tour. Etc. And the event itself to with with better preparations from all sides. That's a lesson we we definitely took from there. So make sure it doesn't happen again with all these frost bites.
0: So Anton, what about uh, f- uh, from your perspective and and particularly your team's perspective? That was the first race. What was going on? What was going on behind the scenes when the season started with you guys?
1: Yeah, well, we're, we're eager to get started. We had been in the, in the Engadin Valley for. 10 days if i recall uh, perfect weather all the time a bit cold uh, then the big uh, snowstorm came in two days before the race uh, dumping about uh, i must have been one meter of snow i think it feels like we were skiing then we we're out snow plowing getting our out our car and then <laughs> skiing again and so on and then the I, I actually noticed, David, that you haven't, you didn't, it was so much problem that weekend that we didn't even uh, recall that we had. you had to change the course due to av- avalanche risk, right?
2: Uh, I forgot about that. I yeah. even <laughs> forgot about the snowstorm. There were so many yeah. accidents, incidents this winter, so yeah, we also had a snowstorm there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then uh, eventually we got started. It was cold. Uh, Yeah, but uh, everyone knew it was cold, and uh, it's a winter sport. So, yeah, we're kind of used to it. But this time it was very cold uh, during the whole race, and uh, it affected some 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 people a little bit more than we might expect from the first thing. Personally, I uh, like cold weather. You almost and cold weather and cross country skiing. All you think about is your. uh, your lungs and so on and uh, developing asthma and so on but this race came to why uh, it came to be about uh, the frostbites and uh, and I had Brita Johansson Norgren in my team and she suffered suffered a lot after the race but it wasn't like it wasn't like uh, like after the race that yeah she was cold on her feet but not not in that manner that they thought that the whole season might be in danger.
0: And then what about you? I mean, it wasn't really that good of a race for you. I was 26th. No, uh, in, I didn't, the race.
1: didn't really cope with the the cold weather. I had a cold weather uh, isn't my type of game and uh, especially not altitude. I haven't, haven't done a good race in altitude in, ever. So uh, I did my best, but uh, the the cold set me back a little bit
0: i must say and also what i heard you know the snow was like sandpaper yeah (laughs) that's no no lie to say
1: it was like sandpaper
0: uh you mentioned britta uh johannson nugre, and of course uh, when the season started she was the reigning champion uh and probably felt pretty strong at that uh, stage but then afterwards how did she take it you know the kind of the Cusini need, needed to shift her focus and kind of re-evaluate the whole season.
1: I think uh, it took it took a while in the, before we realized how how long time it would take to to get her back. But Berita is a super professional girl. She always sees she always sees solutions. So yeah, uh, it wasn't actually until she decided to go home to Sweden again that. Uh, I kind of uh, noticed how how bad it was, but uh, yeah, actually missing her first first ever ski classics event, (laughs) so that was that's something to remember. Uh, But uh, the race itself was uh, wasn't good for me, but the. We had like one meters so of snow the days before, and the tracks were still perfect. The weather was perfect, uh, if you count out uh, the temperature. Uh, we had an amazing race. Uh, two amazing performances by Janne Larsson and Oscar Kadin. Uh, also, uh, yeah, and team okay, okay, I guess, and
2: I can fill in there that, I mean the Intergonella with actually with seeing it now behind that the. Uh, you know, Team Ramun really set set the standard on the women class there in yeah. the first event. I saw I saw them training last fall, and I, I felt there was something there. They were kind of focused in a different way than I've seen before. There, there was some natural thing there in their way they were behaving and training. And then, you know, in the first race when Jenny was just, you know, was natural for her to to ski that fast, and the, the way they decided to to the team tactics together in Ramun it was. That, that was a trendsetter, that race. What happened there is kind of setting the standard for, for the future in the in the winman field, I would say.
0: Absolutely. And David, generally speaking, uh, this particular race, La Diagonela, it's been part of Isma Ski Classics uh, for several seasons now. Uh, how would you kind of describe the race? Or what's special about La Diagonela?
2: I think that... Uh, uh, if if I say as yes, from a general perspective, it's the the area to go there. It's you know this what they're always so proud of, which is, should be the 322 sunny days per year. It's kind of the feeling you get there. It's just I, I must be the most beautiful place to be in the winter time in the world. Probably it's kind you know it's just so amazing the alpine skiing, the ski cross country tracks, the village. It's just a great valley to be in, and you feel. It feels so lucky to be able to, you know, to go there. That's that's the feeling I have when I come there. And There's so many small parts of the valley which we don't use for for Diagonella. You can go to Valfex, which is a kind of hidden valley. <clears throat> you can go to Valuseg, the glacier. We we do a part of it, but you can continue up to the to the mountain hut and to the glacier up there. You can do, go up in the Monteras glacier. You, there's a lot of this hideout, the Beaver up in the Beaver uh, uh, Valley behind the Beaver uh, uh, City. <clears throat> so there's like hideout places to go on cross-country skis. So uh, uh, that, that's, uh, if I can dream, I would retire in the Engadin Valley.
0: Yeah, It c- certainly is one of the greatest places for cross-country skiing. They have about 200 kilometers of crew tracks, so it's certainly it is a place to go. Uh, then after La Diagonela, the tour, pro tour, moved to Italy. Topla Cotina and then Machalonga. Let's talk about Topla Cotina next again. Uh, Change uh, in a course that happened quite and a date it had to be postponed.
2: Yeah, <laughs> of course, we got some uh, criticism uh, after uh, Diagonella that we could have maybe from the jury side that they could have postponed the race due to the cold. And of course, it's easy to say afterwards, maybe you know, it's hard to say because in the, the day before when the jury is looking, the temperature was not close to this uh, what what they felt with the humidity and stuff. So. But anyway, we, we tried we had the group sitting down and said, What well, is it possible? Because we've never done it the postponement. Because norm this winter is a little bit special because we have since you said as you said before, we didn't have the recreation skis making it a little bit easier to test different things for the future. So in Toblacotina, of course, there came this was it snowstorm, Anton. What what was what weather phenomena did we have in Toblak? It was snowstorm
1: again, wasn't it? Yeah, it was snowstorm again. Once again Another it came meter. almost one meter <laughs> the day before the race. <laughs>
2: So, so then we. I, I saw quite early on that, that this it looked very similar to what we had two years before when we had to, when they stopped um, everything in the whole region in the whole Sud Sy- uh, Sy- region, stopped the Brenner Pass, etc. And then I saw on the forecast that this is copy paste two years ago when they closed down. <clears throat> so we start working with the with the jury and also with the, with the FSTD, of course the chairman, and also with the event saying. This doesn't look good for Saturday when the event is supposed to be. And so we actually tried to uh, to see if, uh, you know, from our side, they, they had races on Saturday, normally Torblak-Cortina, they have Torblac to Cortina. And then normally they usually have from, on Sunday, from Cortina to Torblac on skating. So do the opposite way. Uh, so we knew that they were supposed to have a race. We were seeing, is it a possibility that we move our race just to be sure to be able to do it? and in the end it uh, became possible so we had the uh, plan to do normal race on uh, one day later where it uh, was supposed to be sunshine and i think people were a little bit surprised because we never did that before we actually what we learned from the if we need to make a move it's quite many things because it's not just to tell the skiers to start another day we have to book new times for for our airplane we need to make sure that the airplane is not booked the day after for another job we need to have permissions on the radio frequency we use we need to have you know all the tv personnel they normally do if you have a race on saturday they go home maybe to check republic and do football on sunday so there's a lot of things uh, around that need to uh, work in order to postpone one day and of course there's a lot of cost extra because there's a lot of things we need to double book but <clears throat> but we start working quite early, saying if we're gonna do it, we need to take the decision on Friday, so that we don't come in the morning or Saturday when everyone is already there and so. On. And then, uh, so we we uh, I got a positive response from from the event to to, to move the uh, race to Sunday. And then somewhere on the path to Sunday, then the, all this uh, snow situation, the avalanche uh, danger came there as well, so we had to shorten it. We, we couldn't go up. On the to the highest plateau, so to say. We had to stay on the Torbla side because of the avalanche danger there. So we did some quite actually quite major changes of the course because we put, uh, if I'm not wrong, we had the women starting first. It was a men, no, it was women first, I think. Women first, and then we made a couple of loops and then we made men, so we separated the gender, and then we had the recreation skis after that. So it was quite major changes, um, yeah. But uh, great race and uh, fantastic to see Ermel Bokoyev winning. I really like Ermel Bokoyev. It's an offensive, positive skier and then also having a Russian winner is, I think, very good for the sport
0: also. And Anton, for you, it was a much better race. You were eighth. What do you, what do you remember from that particular race?
1: Yeah, I remember I was uh, happy happy we could have a race b- during... So it didn't become the same thing as two years ago when the Avalanche stopped stopped the whole race. But David and the guys managed to, to get a race and it was a really fun race, I must say. It, it, pretty tough course, during what, up to uh, and above uh, Lake uh, Dobbiaco Cortina. Uh, Lake Dobbiaco, what's it called? Lago de Biaco, yeah. Lago de Biaco. And uh, it was a tough course, very high speed, always from the start. I remember that uh, Eliasen put the hammer on early and just kept going. And then Ermil took over and uh, split divided the group just after after the first sprint, already after like 10k. Uh, I didn't quite uh, had the power to to follow the first group, and then I ended up in the second group with uh, Max Novak, uh, Auckland and uh, Louisa, I think. I'm not really sure, but uh, yeah, it was a very fun race, actually. It was uh, high speed all the way, good weather. Uh, Yeah, it was, I have only positive vibes from uh, Tobler Cordina.
0: So that Torblak-Kotina isn't really the longest race in, in the pro tour, but how would you describe the race from athletic uh, athletes' perspective? Yeah, Generally, speaking, nor, not just this particular year, but the, yeah, the Toplakotina in general. Yeah, it,
1: it starts off with a, a very flat round uh, over to San Candino and back to Torbach. Uh That's nothing special, really, but it's a good start to get to get uh, get warm before. The long hill up to Cimabanke, uh, which is about I don't know maybe 20 kilometers of slightly uphill in the, the most uh, yeah some of the beautiful valleys in A- Italy to ski in, uh, and then it's from there down to Toblach uh, down to Cortina it's uh, slightly downhill so <laughs> then you have to push push very hard all the way. Normally, it's very high speed and you can't relax. You think you can relax when it's 15k almost downhill, but uh, that's not really the case. Uh, So, I really like Tolos Cortina. I think it's a very nice course and I like going from A to B, especially between two different towns. And uh, yeah, I I like Tolos Cortina, it's something I could recommend. And you, uh, Timo, you asked before
2: about. Funny episodes. I have one actually because Good. now I can tell you. In just after the I think actually the day before there uh, is. Gunnar Caro is our event director. He's responsible for branding and building. He's doing a, a job for ten people every every winter, every event, uh, working hard as, as anyone else. Uh, he's really a fantastic contributor to the team. He came to me and said, David shit, I had a problem. And he had dropped it came a lot of snow, as Anton said. So two days, or I think it was done on the Saturday morning or so when all the snow came and he was out fixing for the sprint on Sunday and he came back to his car and had lost his car keys. And this car key is our ski classics van where we have all the branding, it's a big truck. And he lost it somewhere in the snow on the Nordic arena. And everyone who's been in Toblak know it's a it's a quite big arena to, to drop a car key and then half a meter of snow somewhere. And and he started digging and he started searching. In the end, we did the race. No one understood. And then after we had actually to, to bring down on, because I had a new race also next week and have all the stuff in the car. So we really need to to have the car to be able to go to Marcelonga. So we had to go with DHL and bring a car from Estonia where, where he lives and we had separate car keys there or spare keys flying in and, you know, to be able to lock up his car to, pack in the tanks and go to the next place. So uh, that was a nightmare for Gunnar to see, you know, come to the car, don't find any car keys when you know it's quite an intense uh, event
0: weekend. Oh, that must have been really tough, you know, but things like that happen, you know, behind the scenes, it's, uh, it's always yeah, stressful. We sold it, Shit <laughs> happens. You, Yeah, happens. Yeah, so once again, but you mentioned Marcha that was the next one then after Topla Cortina, legendary Marcha the magical race in Italy, once again. That one, what happened there this year behind the scenes before the race? No,
2: I think in general, Marcelonga was, they actually had the uh, recreation skis as well, in a little bit fewer, of course, than normal, but they had these different start groups. Um, we were looking uh, to try another change that we managed with the event to find a, a, a new test, was to have actually the, the female elite ski starting just behind the men elite and in, instead of the opposite, we normally done, but in my Salonga, it's quite tricky from Kanasei down to Predatsi, so downhill normally narrow. This winter was actually so much natural snow, so it was quite wide all the whole course. It was a big difference on the normal year when we, as we know, on artificial snow and grass run. But, but we thought it was a good idea to test, to have um, uh, men starting first and five minutes later, I think it was the female skiers. And uh, this was a good lesson. The idea is that basically the men will never pass and then they can decide, decide the women competition, but that the women get their own race uh, all the way. So uh, that was a good try. Then we had you know, the problem with the weather because we had some late night snow coming in. Uh, so it was actually quite tough for the organization to to create good good tracks. Uh, it was late, quite a lot of snow actually came in the night. So so I had a little bit tricky with that, and uh, otherwise it was a little bit change of the course because of the COVID nineteen. They didn't want to go into certain villages. They tried to make a little bit detour. So, but that was kind of ma- minor changes, I would say, to the track. In general, it was a great event with with a very very exciting uh, finish. It was a, uh, I was a really exciting my Salonga this year's edition, I would say.
0: And for you, Anton, it was cr- it was a great day for your team. Emil Parson won the race.
1: Yeah. It was a amazing day, as someone would say. <laughs>
0: but for you, it yeah. wasn't uh, as good. Twenty third, I think you were. That was your yeah. Position. I
1: actually broke my pole on the on the the last uh, bridge. So it, I was better than twenty-first but but uh, maybe maybe top in the best best way. Maybe top ten, not not a single place better than that. But uh, I had. Uh, it didn't really matter that day, because we we guys and the team always had to trust on, on Britta and her performances. We got to show that we also can do it, and uh, we got our first podium in the, one of the Grand Classics, and Emil made it, and it took a victory at Marcia Longa. So that was really big for us.
0: Good that you mentioned Grand Classics. So, David, that was something that uh, was a new initiative. Uh, for this season, f- four big races kind of formed this uh, special prestigious uh, tour within a tour. Uh, of course, the last one, birken Birke and Rennet, uh, had to be canceled. So we couldn't complete the uh, the four four races, but that's that was something new for this season. As yeah, well.
2: I mean, two years ago, we launched the Challenger Series, which is kind of to, to broaden the base of the pyramid and at the same time, we didn't launch at the same time, but at the same time, we took the decision to make the, the, the base wider of our ski family, but also to make this the top of the or shine a little bit more, being like the Kroon jewel on the top of the pyramid. So uh, we launched it this year, before this year, and uh, I think it's uh, it's an important thing because those four are really the monument. When we build a calendar every year, the first thing is look is where's is the eastern and where are the four monuments because they are they are actually kind of the only events that are 100% focused on a date from the whole history of the races that they want to be there's been a change of yariska from January to February but now they are locked so to say two weeks after marathalonga so so they feel really like the the cornerstones of the the calendar every year when we when we put it in the tour and how to build the tour so yeah I felt a natural step, giving more points the winner of this. I think also is if it's fair if you see, so say if you ask about the prestige and, and this from the skiers. So, of course, it was quite close for Lena this year and um, and also for Emil, of course. They were both very very tight on to to do a Grand Slam. So, I, of course, feel sad for them that Birkin couldn't be held as normal. Who knows? Maybe they, one of them could have. Uh, done it but uh, that's the way it is but yeah it's a it's a thing we, we plan to continue with
0: with a, a, a big prize money uh, if a skier does that a grand slam that you just mentioned or complete you know four victories they get a uh, hundred thousand euros so that's that i think that's the biggest prize money in, in winter sports pretty much I, mean, I don't
2: know about winter sport, there's a lot of x-games and, and stuff. But it, in skiing in and cross-country bikes. skiing, yeah, it's cross-country and I think so too.
0: So Anton, a question for you. I mean, this has been asked so many times, but again, since we are talking about Marcha Longa, So from, from an athlete perspective, why is this particular race so special? I mean, the course isn't really that tough if we leave that last hill, the Cascada hill, uh, you know, aside. What makes the race something that you guys value so much? I think it is
1: just the atmosphere. It's it feels like both the Val di and Val de lives for this race during this week, and uh, yeah, I, I like uh, the Italian atmosphere down there, and going in through the these small towns, and it it, it adds some uh, some value to to the competition. And, yeah, it's just uh, always high speed and uh, fast conditions for the most. And of course, this very, very special ending of the race. So, yeah, just <laughs> it feels like this race is a party. It's not like a normal race. This race is a party in some kind. So, I really like Marcia Longa. It's actually my favorite event during the whole tour
0: but well, lots of places have good parties and lots of ra- races have a good atmosphere uh, but there's got to be something li- more about this race that you guys want to win it so much
1: yeah of course for me it's the second the uh, biggest uh, the race to win in in skiing uh i i value was a bit higher but uh it's, it's hard to explain maybe you have to to and uh, what do you say? Maybe you have to ski it to to feel it. But it's something special with Marcia
0: Longa. Indeed, it is a special one. Then after these two Italian races, and David talked about this, uh, the tour moved to Giselska, uh, Parisatka, to the Czech Republic. Very different race from the um, the ones in Central Europe, but this is still in Central Europe. It's kind of a race that I tend to call a mix between the Scandinavian races and the uh, central European ones, kind of the forests and the terrain, everything, and uh, certainly a special race. And the second stage uh, in the classic uh, Wismaski classics, the Grand Grand Classics. Um, What about this year? Anything, David, that
2: yeah well, first of all it's kind of tightened in the covid-19 situation because we we thought it's going to become you know easier and easier to arrange the events etc but then it really got worse in in Czech Republic they had a quite bad november and then became a little better and then it started getting much worse again in the rates of uh, covid-19 and the population so when we would go in there we uh, the the rates of is uh, it's classified as a Uh, an event in the Czech Republic of special importance to to the nation. So they got this extremely special permit from the health authority to uh, from the government basically to actually hold the race. And it was very strict conditions. So fantastic job again. I I come back to it, but I feel so thankful for the events and the teams for this season because the event really did the uh, you know day and night job to for all of us to be able to hold the event and for them as well of course but but it was um, it was not easy to make that event when uh, kind of the borders were closed Germany I remember I was driving car there and I, I had a special permit but it was almost I was stopped by the border between Germany and and uh, Czechia anyway because there were really closed borders so we we managed to. To do it, and if I'm not wrong, we had some rain problem like a week before, and it turned out to be cold again, or so that we were the snow were kind of disappearing. But in the uh, it came more snow, and uh, and it became a really nice event. That's my memory. Anton, Anton, probably I'm forgetting something about the
1: weather again. I don't know. I would say that the uh, was the race this season that had had the best conditions. I must say. Which is quite unusual.
2: Every year, Jesariska goes from—I mean—became, of course, the best event of the season last season, and the, it's, it's always great to come to Jesariska because they always improve. So uh, we have this Benzina sprint two days before, and you know this really fun sprint. I think it's a different format than, than uh, classical sprint setups, and uh, it's a folk fest.
0: there's certainly been years when the conditions been really tough there but you mentioned uh anton you mentioned that it was really good this year the best conditions uh in the pro tour but the race itself how was it you know from your perspective for your team for you
1: yeah i had a good day uh starting off uh of course, Emil was in the jelly bib, so we had to help him as lot as we could and uh, just serve him, and being there for him as, for as long as we could. Uh, hopefully, all the way to the finish. Uh, I managed to stay in the group until uh, Smedava, the second large hill. Uh, then I uh, Emil uh, directed me and uh, to to help him to go to the front and first into the hill, and I. Managed to do that and put ourselves in a very good position before the, the hill, but then I wasn't strong enough. But Emil just pushed on, uh, win, winning his second uh, second in a row. So it, yeah, it was a really good day for the team, and we were all happy to going to go go home that
0: that day. <laughs> yeah, you were 14th in 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 the race. Uh, yeah. You mentioned the kind of the atmosphere when you talked about uh, Machalonga, but Yisiska also has a kind of a special atmosphere. Yeah, the whole
1: uh, Czech Republic, I think, have a nice uh, atmosphere. I was actually there uh, when I played soccer when I was like fourteen or fifteen. We had we took the bus from uh, down uh, up in Sweden down to Czechia and. had a football, a soccer tournament, and I remember. I think that I uh, uh, really like like the, the Czech Republic already then. And Jizerska Palecata is a very nice event. Uh, I think everyone should try it.
0: And then after that, there was a break before Lopet. and uh, Lopet announced early on that it will be a race only for the for you guys, for the elite, you guys and some selected elite skiers. So that didn't come as, as a surprise. But of course, going into that must have been a little bit different uh, in terms of preparation and all that. And the course was changed a bit, not much, but a little bit. But then the conditions, they were really fast. So a record was expected, and of course, record was broken. So David, but before Vasa Loppet, uh those two weeks in between? Did anything special happen there after Iserska? Moving on to because you mentioned, it was getting tighter and tighter. And the restrictions uh, were falling upon us again. Uh,
2: probably it happens so, so much this winter, so I'm kind of, you know, uh, probably to recall all incidents and so on. But, no, but in general, I think uh, Vasa Loppet had decided quite early that they're going to go for this uh, so uh, plan B and so we were all, the event and also our side and the, the teams I think quite well prepared for, for Vasa Loppet that it was quite clear what it's going to be and they had the good winter with uh, you know lots of snow and stuff so it was quite you know clear setup it's, it was no big changes when we get closer to the event and of course when having uh, I don't know if Anton probably knows I think 2012 was last time we had a fast, fast baselop. It wasn't It,
1: yes. like that. it was nine years ago. Well, last record time was 2012, and almost yeah. they had some years like 13, and I think they were under four hours. But but since since 14, 14 to 20 has been either a massive snowfall or. Uh, very slow and wet conditions. So this one was the first with uh, like fast conditions since 2012.
2: Yeah, and then when uh, we um, uh, you know saw on the uh, Oscar Sven, the former or the legend, but former skier, he was actually doing the course uh, a couple of days before, and he did it in 3:46, which is or under 3:50, somewhere around there. And, you know the record 338 or so from before and we understood that he was out you know by himself during that time that was so this can be something exceptional And we, you know we adjust the tv schedule normally after the last couple of years times then we kind of make an average of what do we think the winning time will be and we, we realized that there'd been so many slow years in a row that we actually were probably like 40 minutes wrong on the winning, winning time which was actually quite correct because it was, I, I don't remember the winning time from the year before, but it was probably like 40 minutes different or something. Uh, so, even more, I think. Yeah, it was probably almost an hour. So, uh, so when we have, you know, it's quite a big change for the TV setup if you take away an hour of the production. So uh, it was... Um, Was different. Then, of course, very sad for the Voselop that it came this wind. So, it actually, these great tracks blew in this small layer of snow. So, people didn't want to use the great tracks because, of course, that's the the story. The last year has been quite bad tracks due to the snow. And now they had great tracks, but then it blew in a little bit of snow in it. So, it wasn't used anyway. So, of course, that was very sad for the event because they really did a fantastic job with everything. The wind is not so hard, not so easy to affect.
0: And also one big thing about Vasa Loppet was uh, Marit Björken and, and her comeback. And she did, uh, had a really good race. She was second, only f- about 40 seconds behind uh, Lena. But speaking and of that... it was
2: so great, yeah, it was so great to see Marit back. And I think for all of us, you know, didn't really know where she was. But when we, when we saw, we decided to give her a tribute. So she actually got to stand next to the collar bibs, normally we. You know that's not something we do, but it's a, it's not a good skier, it's an exceptional uh, skier, it's the best winter sport athlete of all times in the world. So in terms of medals at the Olympics, of course we had to, to do some tribute. You got to stand next to our athlete. So I remember I, I kind of explained our decision to the to the other teams. that don't feel that we're doing something which is not right towards our athlete, but I think everyone felt so, you know. Felt it was right to welcome her to to long distance skiing. I hope that she got a good definitely. I think she got a good experience from from doing the race herself. When she just now a couple of days ago announced that she's gonna continue, so that's a fantastic see. And to see, I, I had no clue myself where she was in terms of sport, but then she she looked so balanced in her core core muscles, so to say. That was uh, quite impressive to see doing her first long distance race. So. That's going to be really fun to see more of her challenging Lina and and Emily Fleten and Astrid back and Britta back next season and so on and even skiers. and Ida all, etc. It's going to, she really add an extra flavor to, to the sport for sure.
0: And we had a really nice podcast with her just before the race and she sounded really confident. Uh, uh, some people said that she was going to win but uh, she almost did. Uh, but she sounded really, really uh, happy about the chance and of course it was a little bit un- uncertain about her performance or the level of her performance because she didn't have a chance to race at all before, before the race. And as you mentioned, now she has announced that she will, will be doing more. Uh, but for you, Anton vasalopet of course, you were so close. Yeah. <laughs> but again, a Norwegian guy was a bit faster. It looked like there was a chance, finally, a chance for you guys, for, for Sweden to have a vasalopet winner. It's been a while since uh, uh, the last uh, Swedish. A uh, uh, victory,
1: back in twenty twelve. You Brink
0: exactly, and that was a record time back then. Uh, but now you were second, not that far behind Tora uh, Sejedalen, but still a bit behind.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I did my best. I had a, a very good day, uh, both skis and my body was and my shape was top notch. So I have, I am. I'm very proud of that that uh, performance. So I have nothing to nothing to be ashamed of, so to say. <laughs> I did my very best and thought Ashley was better me, than me than me that day. So the he last
2: like I remember, I, I put a lot of effort there halfway or so when we got away, was me. he? It looked like he was
1: strong in the <laughs> He was starting he was... the breakaway Sorry. and I was like cheering him on like Davai, Davai, Only r- Russian words <laughs> I know. <laughs> so yeah, I think he he took the first, uh, the first uh, speed, and I think he kept in front for almost eleven kilometers before he, he decided that someone else should help him.
0: <laughs> yeah, when I was commentating the race, uh, I noticed that the last ten k were quite interesting because Tour Anselin attacked a bit. He was a little bit ahead of you, then you in the middle, then Adam a little bit behind you, but he kind of remained the same. <laughs> you know, the, the yeah. distance. Uh, but it must have been kind of nerve-wracking to be in the, in the middle of those two guys. Were you looking behind all the time? And when is Ermeling catching up?
1: No, I actually didn't look behind before before the, the finish line. So uh, I was was just trying to focus to catch Tor all the time and trying to keep my focus forward, not giving up giving up the, the victory. So I have a... I can't say I have many memories from that that point. I was very, very, very tired, but uh, yeah, I was I
0: was fighting. And of course, it must have meant a lot to you because the year before you had to stay away because of an injury. Kind of this comeback and and to be able to show everyone that you're back in, back with a vengeance. I mean, you must have been kind of empty after that, after the race. Even if you didn't win, but say, as you said, second, you did your best. It was a great, great race. You were on a podium. You were back.
1: Yeah, I felt like what I, actually my first podium in with maxi classics. But I felt like it was a. I lost the race, but it was a very big personal win for me, because I had to prove to myself that I could do it. I could. Do a very good comeback from this uh, injury, which set, set me back a lot, and uh, I'm very proud of that.
0: So even at that stage, when you uh, that close to winning, you you didn't think that you will continue. I mean, like
1: uh, that's the funny part because I told uh, Elin, my fiance, in. Uh, uh, last fall, like in September or something at like that. This this is the last season. But there is one thing that might keep me going for another one, and that's uh, if I become a second in Vasaloppen and close to winning it. <laughs> so that's exactly what happened. Then I had to think over again, but uh, eventually I I uh, ended up uh, deciding to
0: to put the skis on the shelf, so to say. And and David Vasaloppen of course, it is a big thing in, in a country, and we always talk about this, why Vassalopet is so big and kind of the history and, and all the hoopla uh, behind it. Of course, this year was a bit, uh, very different because we didn't have the huge crowd there, only the elite skiers, although they had the kind of the open window, the Öpetspor uh, open for two weeks, I think, and about 18,000 people actually skied the course, so it was a success for uh, for uh, but this kind of being the institution in your in your country, what is the uh, importance and meaning of Vassalopet for for skiing community in general? That's just for Visma Ski Classics.
2: But first I mean, being in Sweden, uh Vassalopet is not kind of on a ski race, it's part of the culture in Sweden. It's kind of a cornerstone in the culture world of Sweden for, for T V it's kind of not only a sport event, it's kind of a you know cornerstone in the Swedish calendar of TV. So it's something more. And then, of course, with the, not only the, the main race, but they have a normal year, about 60,000 skiers in a week. It's kind of everyone knows someone who's doing that. And uh, you have to kind of, if you are interested, you have to you have to do it at least once. You know, that's kind of, I have a lot of friends from Stockholm who are kind of not skiers, but even if they go in 12 hours or so, they need to check off that they have done Vasa Loppet. So. It's kind of a part of being a little bit Swedish uh, somehow to 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 do it. Some I mean, some of the it has to, it doesn't have to be the 90k, but the, you you want to be you know have done VasaLoppet. So it it means a lot for the for also for the recruitment of the future and and the interest of the sport. There's no doubt about that. It is the most prestigious event. of said. I think everyone more or less everyone would say the same that it's probably the, the race that would if they could choose one they probably like to win VasaLoppet.
0: I might be wrong, but I have heard that Vassaloper is the third biggest brand in Sweden, uh, followed by uh, uh, actually followed by before it uh, is uh, IKEA and Coca Cola. So I guess that kind of shows you uh, how important that, that race is in your the brand is in your country if it's the the third biggest brand. I'm not sure if that's quite you know the truth, but that I've been told that that's the case. Uh, but then after Vasa Lopet, something really unprecedented happened because uh, the tour remained in Sweden. You guys didn't go anywhere else. Uh, the remaining races, Volodals Rennet, Toso Osen Criterium 64, and Orefels all those races took place in Sweden. Of course, not uh, in the same uh, Dala Dallana, uh, area, but moved to, uh, to Ore and, and, and Volodalen, that area. It's the Swedish
2: bit... calendar this year. It will probably it... never happen again that we have four events in in month in Sweden, for sure.
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, but walk us through a little bit about what happened after Vassaloppen. Because was still a little bit hoped that Birken might take place, although we were pretty skeptical. But then a lot of yeah, things actually, happened.
2: Actually, you asked me did something happen at USAsk and of course we were working quite heavily with uh, the Norwegian situation already. Since a lot of months before that, but I think in that period so we were quite ready with different options. When we came, we I don't remember if we published it uh, when we took the, t- took the final decision, but we had we were monitoring and actually Norway was closing down. So they were somewhere around the time. Norway took a decision that they uh, were making no exceptions for sport events. That it's basically only Norwegians that can come back to Norway if you're not kind of a, in the hospital world or something like that. So it was. It was becoming just yes, clear for everyone it's impossible to do an international event and and uh, for birken um, we, had, we had different options and they had different options and i from our part we try you know spoke very positive with eric as the ceo of birken and he he wanted for our athletes to be able to 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 race and i think so yes, i'm very thankful for for the Birken understanding of the the athletes and the proteins because you know some of the athletes they get Get the sponsorship value depending on how many races they do. So it's, it's very important to try to keep up the number of races in the calendar too for them. So uh, we uh, we had offer, different options, and then um, uh, of course uh, the idea to move it to to Volodalen was uh, quite natural. We decided to before the season to have Oriflame at the weekend after. Birken, we could have had it the weekend before, but we said if there was this 10 days quarantine to Norway, we must be ready to have a free weekend. So we, so kind of can do Birken if we need to be 10 days quarantine. In the end, we couldn't go there anyway. But but then we were so to say planned to be in Väleddalen and after the We knew that most skis were in Sweden, so we said as little travel as possible. Is this what we need to go for? And speaking with the with our friends in in Volodalen, which we you know quite well, and that's. I heard a Norwegian um, podcast said that if you're somewhere you should be COVID-19 safe, it must be Vårdalum because there's not so many people living there. You're quite alone uh, in terms of number of inhabitants in the, in the area, and that's uh, it's true. Even if it's a great number of tour, tourists and the day tourists, and so going in there to the great area for, for cross-country skiing. But when we saw that possibility to to actually try it, you know, we didn't make this decision then to finish off the season there, but we we saw that beacon is not going to happen in Norway. And we, we made the decision finally to to make it the weekend before. And then at the same time, you know, I was actually, you know, in December, I was calling uh, Orifice because it was not planned in the original plan to have Orifice for the season. It was a new common event for plan B. And I called uh, Latti and the guys there in, or- in Volodoll and said, you know, is it possible for you with just three months time to make one event? And they were a little bit unsure because, not you know, it's a big event for for a small place to host as well with all the TV and stuff. And uh, you know, they want to do it good, so they were thinking. It turned out they had to do three events <laughs> in this year, not one. So, but uh, it's, it's a little bit. Uh, afterwards, we can be uh, you know, it's a little bit interesting to test the limits too of an organization. And uh, Lattida, the lot head actually for track we. Uh, we didn't find the limit yet, so so there was a great place to organize it where we're, we can feel comfortable that we get the most important thing is a good track. Of course, we had some unlucky with snow, we can probably come back to that, but we still feel that we can make a course which is suitable. And also knowing that they have over 300k of cross-country tracks in, in the what's called Södra Årefjällen. It's not Åre, it, Åre is a little bit north. This is south from that, but uh, in this area they have uh, about 300k of cross-country tracks. So we know there's a lot of different tracks to choose from, so we could actually make three different uh, courses with different profile and and kind of different winners. It <laughs> didn't turn out that be Emil is is so good, but um, this winter, but but it's still um, that was a possibility because we don't want to make three courses, you know, the same course three times. That's that's not what we want to do. So, so of course the the Volvo which powered by Birken, we moved over. You know, the the plan was to make, make bring over also the key crew from Birken. Unfortunately, they were stopped because the restrictions even got tighter, so they, they had to stay in Norway. But we got the uh, trailer that they left on the border to Sweden. And We went to picked it up with the branding and stuff to be able to make a little bit uh, Norwegian touch, and we. Also kept the, the rucksack uh, regulation that you should have a rucksack so to tribute Birken also. And um, and I think the race was quite similar having, of course, Ebba Andersson coming in for um, for Lager 157. And the race itself, it's quite, quite similar that it's, Anton, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but that it's similar to a short distance uh, cross country traditional ski race where you have you know, up and down so to say, and uh, uh, suiting uh, someone like Tres Joaug and Birken winning that before or Eb Andersson here quite well. So it's a challenge for a little bit different style of that Saturday, which I think we managed quite well to, to, to move from Birken to Valdas and that, that had a similar feeling like like with Birken. So, yeah, uh, that was my wrap up of that event.
0: So Anton, was it really like uh, Birken? You were fourth in in, in Voreldalsrennet. In yeah, what's a Birken
1: is known for its tough course, and Voreldalsrennet was a tough course. Uh, not as tough as 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 the Birke Birkebeine, Rennet, but uh, because has, Rennet has so long hills, this one we had a little bit shorter hills, but also steeper. So it was a very tough event, and uh, it. Turned out to be a very good uh, replacement for baker Binder Ren- Ren- I must say.
2: And then we had this unbelievable snow in the in the end, where I don't think I've seen in a competition before. Where when it was on the male side, or actually it was also yeah on the male side, we had you know it was six seven kilometers to go. A bunch of the guys were. Oscar Kadin was three minutes behind, six k, and suddenly there were just a couple of kilometers that were in the bunch again. I mean, we we kind of, on TV, we were like, "What? What is happening?" We just couldn't figure
1: out what what is the problem with the snow. I was, but honest, I can tell that it I was completely, completely, completely. It was, didn't. It wasn't uh, able to to go first. It, I I don't know. I can't explain. But. It's, you had to go behind someone, or else you're, you're stopped in the snow. It was very special.
0: It was indeed a very special because there were two uh, laps uh, that, with the hills, and then the last lap it was a separate one, uh, 20k, kind of flat, but as you mentioned, really slow because the snow was so wet. And Jens Boorman uh, was also a guest from uh, visiting from the, the World Cup and the World Championships uh, circuit, and he attacked on the hills uh he was the only diagonal strider uh in, in the men's race um only one which was front. accepted sort of some more but he, he was the only one in the in the front in the front exactly
2: uh, but i must say one in, that impressed me there was alexis Janereau on the in the mail race the french team anyway they, i mean roxanne also did great the last three events but alexis was actually double polling with Jens boom was it the first hill or second i think first hill first hill or, or, Secondly, yeah, he went
0: one. by himself. And also what was really interesting about the Volodals, Rennet and the weekend that for, for the first time in history, you guys had two races back to back, meaning on, on consecutive days.
2: Yeah. And fr- from our perspective in the in the tour, this is, we had a couple of things we tried to test this winter. One was, as I said, this, that the women uh, starting f- behind the men instead of in front of them, but very close to we. Wanted to test this uh, possibility to sometime. Is it possible to move a start like in tennis? If it's raining, we can move it to, from Saturday to Sunday. We, we managed to test that. And then the back to back is one of the other things that we you know received many times that when, when the skiers and the athlete proteins go to an event, they already pay the trips, they pay the hotels. It's quite easy for them to, to make one more race from a logistical point of view. But are they able to do it from a physical point of view? That maybe can elaborate on, but but we of course we see in cycling when they do you know six days or five six days in road and have a rest day and then five six days in the, in the grand tours. So it was it, it never happened before that we did two fifty plus fifty k plus races back to back. So we, this is a great test for the future also to see is it possible. And we when we saw the possibility to actually test it, we felt this is a great setup to. To actually do it in, in Walladarland to see with a different profile. Unfortunately, on the Sunday it was supposed to be a completely different track because it came some snow. And it was actually a lot of snow that came in the morning. That a lot of wind. <laughs> and a lot of wind wind and snow, snow showers. So it was kind of good weather. Then suddenly this came the snow. So at like six o'clock in the morning I got this call and uh, and uh, the piss machine Latte was driving the piss machine at the Valbo. And he said he couldn't see like twenty meters in front of him. And he said we cannot; it's impossible to put out skiers uh, on this track because if it comes like this, they they're not gonna be in the track because it will it blow away. We're not gonna see the track. So uh, it was in the early morning there, and then we had to make a decision what to what to do because uh, you know if you stop a race, it's quite difficult to do something of it. As I said before, when we moved to La Cortina one day here in the morning, we had to make a decision, should we cancel the race? We already had the race the day before, so we had the weekend with the race. And to postpone the race, we didn't know when the weather is going to be better because it was these showers coming in and it, it could continue to be bad. But uh, we looked at the forecast and we said step one, we tried to postpone it two hours just to gain time. For, because, of course, the in that is they need to get the clear decision from from uh, the tour side what what they, if they're gonna prepare for the race start, or you know, they need to get a little bit before the start so they know how to prepare in the morning. And then uh, you know, we, we we talked about different options and I uh, asking a bit about what 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 can the other courses they can do. So we sent out the pist machine um, just prep the 10k loop just to have a backup because it was actually not we, we didn't do anything of the original course on Sunday. We changed actually the complete Course, we were supposed to go what they called the waffle uh, 14k waffle turen over Valbo and then down on the Blancenschrunden or colon So, and doing two laps, it turned out we had to do the 7k and 10k loop uh, three times, I guess it was four times, even a lot of times, three times, Anton. three times, three, three times, seventeen. times. Yeah, so it was like a complete, but uh, so it was a fantastic job by the small organization and the ski classics crew, event crew that was there changing the setup. And once again, here we tried the limits of the, of uh, you know, this, how much can we change because changing a day was possible. Then we had problems that some key person might be booked on other jobs. Here, when changing two hours, it's, you know, quite late in before it starts. We need to make sure do we have uh, start permission for the airplane at this time? Do we have, uh, once again, the satellite time, which we need to prolong? We need a satellite to deliver the signal to our TV customers, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So it was so a lot of things that needed to be decided. And especially, is it safe enough to do a race, basically? But afterwards, it, it kind of became better and better. So, I'm very happy that we decided to go, even if it was stressful morning for everyone involved in the, in the, the decisions.
0: So Anton, how was the experience then to the do races, two races back to back? I mean, it seemed to me that you guys actually kind of liked it, you know.
1: It was something new, something else. And uh, it uh, challenged us to, to in the recovery mode. <laughs> the, we, have, we worked out a good plan to recover for, as fast as possible. Uh, because you can't recover a fully hundred percent. That's not uh, not possible in in under twenty hours. But we did as good as we can, and it worked out much better than I thought it would. Uh, I felt that I had good energy almost almost all the way. Actually, last last five k, I was a little bit down, but that could have been something else. I don't know. Uh, but most of the guys and girls said that they had good energy. And that was my main uh, main uh, fear that that it would be mon- many people going in into the wall, so to say, out of uh, nutrition and the energy. So, but it worked out fine, and uh, actually, I didn't feel so so uh, worn out on the Monday and Tuesday afterwards either. So, I'm very surprised that it, the body the responded so well. And it was very, very fun to do two, two races in a in a row, and I I feel like that is something for the future.
0: And you were there twenty twenty second in 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 the race, but uh, would you recommend that? You know, would you tell David now? Then hey, we we should have more of those.
1: Now he can tell himself because he's in the tour <laughs> exactly. But uh, not maybe every weekend, but uh, of course some weekends uh, during the tour. I think so. And and what's
2: interesting, I think, is that if we looked all the other way around, that there were a couple of skis that didn't race on Saturday and ran. They raced only Sunday, but we cannot see them. Like there's no trend that they are higher up than normal in the in the result. it's Rather the opposite, actually. That uh, even if maybe I, I think it was one of the protein directors that said to me that in cycling they uh, the second day they feel a little bit stiff. Anton, maybe I, you can relate to it, but that they are actually faster, that even if your body feels, you feel that you are, so to say, physically hangover,
1: but but you're actually faster in, in time, so to say. It's, it's always good when you think about training and so on. You don't have to go by the feeling, you have to go by the performance. Uh, that's what is so good when you have a cycle that measures watts or if you're doing a track and field and you can see what you can measure the performance in another way in skiing you can't measure the performance because because of the 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 conditions are so different from day to day but uh, so we often go by feeling so it's very hard to know if it's better or not but i i also as i said i'm surprised that that these guys that didn't go saturday was wasn't stronger than they were on the sunday
0: and then, David, a quick word about Tosh Åsen. Some people may, may, may wonder what, what that is. It's a Sámi village, correct? And, and
2: Yeah, I mean, for these for Classics in general, we, we are not only a sport, but some stadium sports, you know, they do a football game in an arena. We, we are part of a landscape, we're part of a culture. We go through different la- villages and sceneries and churches or whatever we pass on our way. And I think it's very important for us to lift up also this part of of the area that we're in that we try to you know support the the people in the area that we are and uh, I always had such a great uh, support from when we do ski classics from from the samish people and we we work with them in different uh, you know different parts of our events and it was a great way to for us to to make contribution to there is two Samish villages in this area. It's the Handel uh, Dalen, which is on the left side. If you say like this, if you look on the map on the of Boladalen, on the right side, it's the Tostos and Samish villages. And these two are kind of the the big areas where they have uh, different herds of reindeer and so. So for us to be actually, if you look carefully, we changed some of the names of the sprints. We used instead of Valbo, we used the Samish word for Valbo on the um, Orreforslopet. It's called Novele. So we kind of did a small small things which i think is very fun to be able to to help, help my or minorities or help you know to get out the message of this uh, this great culture so uh, we did the national song i think if you have seen the tv production going into ski classics play um, i think it was uh, actually a quite cool thing we tested we did the samish national songs both um, on the Sunday, the Tososan criterion, but also an orifice Loppet and different sceneries. It's also a little bit test for the future, how we can, you know, elaborate and uh, and enhance uh, or or develop how we do the the pre race uh, running order and to make a little bit more effort on on the national songs, showing where we are, showing a little bit more of the culture where we are. So we, we put a little bit effort in that, and, and uh, so yeah, Tososan is a one of the two Samus villages, and they've always been very supportive with uh, having the race, and uh, we are very proud to be able to be on their ground,
0: basically, on their lap. So, Anton, then after these two tough races, you had a week to prepare for the longest race in Wismas classics history, Oretel Loppet, which was 100k, but you didn't have to go anywhere. That must have been the most ideal for you, just to stay in one place instead of the usual travelling and all the hoopla. And uh, now you just stayed there.
1: Yeah, actually, I went home to to Össösön, but that, that's just one one and a half hour drive. So, but I, I felt like I was on site all the time, but that uh, yeah, was very, I think it was good to to get a good, good recovery after the race before the 100k. And
0: then David, Åre Felsloppet, that was, that came about, uh, that was kind of the part of the plan, plan B uh that uh, materialized in in december um 100k let's talk about that a little bit a long tough race because the conditions were also tough so it took more than a five, five hours five hours and five minutes i think uh i think it's probably the longest winning time in for, classics. for the male
2: skis, but the it, 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 out, uh,
0: almost six five it, forty something exactly correct me if i'm wrong david but i think that is the longest winning time in Bismarck classics uh history yeah, i must be i must anton be. probably knows but it must be <laughs> but uh, yeah of course this is when
2: we do evaluation every year we have quite a long session that anton will be part of this this year we do it next uh, in two weeks time we go through all the feedback we have and look for changes and rules and things we can test and i would mentioned some of them before but one was also that you know we said in vossalop but that uh, you know 90k used to be like the longest race and it is uh, still an effort but the, in in a, in a good weather condition day for the pro team athletes where the technique is better they are better trained, the, the, the quality of, of the um, you know ski poles and then the skis etc goes forward so that it, it's for them it's kind of they're, they're so used to doing longer sessions and training it's not the same as when they did bustlo maybe 10 15 years ago in terms of effort they want longer races they're trained to do longer races so you know now in the summertime they i know the the people are to show and i don't think anton was on that roller ski trip around the around the big lake there which is like ish i guess 250k or so anton uh 219k it ended up to. yeah so i mean and the, and the Auckland brothers do this and now they did 700k which of course out there is world but they also did this long trip last year which i guess will run 300k or something so so I mean the, the 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 boundaries are expanding, so to say. That the, the what's possible and what is seen to belong is expanding and, and different that we have to, we have to follow it. And I, I think I think Anton was quite tired when they, when he came second in Warsaw but I think when I saw Oscar Kadin finishing Orpheus Lopet, he was dead tired. I mean that they actually, you know and that's how it they want I think the skiers also want to feel that it's not only you know, you, you want to have this you really have no energy whatsoever left. That feeling, I think, they got after the Orreforsloppet
1: or Anton. What would you say? Yeah, it's a different kind of uh, tiredness or something, a uh, fatigue, uh, when you're going like that.
0: How was the race then, Anton? I mean, conditions were tough. Uh, not a, not the easiest course either, uh, and the hundred k, the longest ever.
1: Yeah, it was a as always we had a little bit problem with the weather and so on but so it got uh, very tough conditions uh, wet conditions uh, but it it worked out very fine i must say i remember that emla and i said uh, after the race that it wasn't like boring anytime like you have these stations and different parts of the the loop that's it didn't feel like we were out in for five hours, if you, if I can explain it like that. Sometimes, like Valsaloppetits, the terrain is very, very it's the same for a, a long period. And then it feels like you're out for a long time, but when we did this, or if you sloppy, it didn't feel like that.
0: Certainly and per- also the,
2: the, the day before from TV production side, we, or a couple of days before, we had to change the start of the the female, Well, actually, I don't think the athletes saw so much because we didn't change it in real life, but we had to change that the TV production didn't start live for the first time in ski classic history. We always want to be alive. But we actually did a recap of the women's start. And the reason was that a couple of days ago, we actually saw the weather condition, we saw the wind that's coming in, and we understood that this would be a slow race, and it's gonna be a lot of wind for the airplane. And as everyone, Involved in air traffic knows the airplane has a dur- uh, duration and need to have a certain amount of time left of fuel when when they need to leave an area to go for landing. And uh, actually the pilot came back and said that I think we will have a maximum five and a half hour duration. And we didn't know then if it's going to be, you know, actually on the mail skis, if, if, I think we, we were aiming about five hours, but we could be even longer, like five and a half or. For the for the female skis maybe up to six and a half hours because we did, we did had never done 100k in over 2008 meters in this spring condition and we saw the weekend before the snow on the last course on on saturday that if the, we're expecting this kind of snow it can be the whole day race. Right? so we actually didn't know you know how long it's gonna be so we actually took the decision to actually the only thing we could do to make sh- to make as certain as possible that we actually live pictures, when the airplane need to leave after five and a half hours, we have an no option, and to go down, refuel, and go back takes over an hour, so then we lose the finish. So I had to make this change um, quite a couple of days before, and turned out I think quite okay. But of course, we would love to see also the that part live in the beginning. But a lot of things happen.
0: So, so I assume the overall experience of Orevis was really good both from the uh, athlete's perspective but also from from your perspective, David. I know that you can't really answer this question but I'm going to ask it anyways. Is that race going to stay in the calendar? Or similar but, uh, race, if not this one, a similar type, longer than Vasa Loppet type of race?
2: Yeah, uh, I think for sure we will see longer than 90k races in the future. Uh, Orevis Lopet as you uh, you might know what I I don't know if you know it. But we have every year this best event of the season, which is actually a vote by the, the athletes and the pro team staff on there. We Have a Close Community where they, they do the voting. And uh Orfis-Lop became a number one and quite quite a clear victory this year over I think Marcelonga second and Jeserska third. And um, so, of course, that says something, if we can, uh, it wasn't supposed to be in the plan A, which is for different, you know, it's a lot of things that have to fall: the calendar, the financing of the TV production cycle need to fall into places. But for sure, if, if the athletes want it, we, and the show, this is the best event, of course, we will do everything we can to make sure we can have it in the calendar because we are there for, for the athletes and, and our fans.
0: So now we have recapped all the races the whole season. Uh, and next, we are going to talk about future. But Anton, pretty briefly, I'd like you to sort of analyze uh, the, the category winners, or at least the champions, Lina Kosgren and your teammate Emil Parson. What really makes these two skiers so superior, particularly Emil this year? When the season started, I don't think many really expected him to be that strong.
1: No, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm a bit surprised. Uh, not surprised that it is Emil, because I know uh, I've been knowing him for three years in the team, and I I always said that this is the guy. He's going to win the the jelly jersey. He's going to take it home to Sweden sometime, but not this season. I I thought maybe in two or three years, but he has developed uh, so much this winter and. The funny thing is, the more pressure you put on him, the more pressure he feels, the better he becomes. So, I mean, going into Tosåsen and uh, Volodal, and feeling that I have to defend the jell jersey, and all he had, he said to me was, I'm, I'm not here to defend it, I'm here to, to increase the lead. And then he goes in and it takes a double victory. That's just... Uh, <laughs> enormously impressive for, to me and the uh, <laughs> same uh, same thing with Lina she's uh, at that age taking a huge, huge step in performance it's, it's so impressive uh keeping it keeping the shape the whole the whole season is very very impressive
0: so David any other athletes you would like to mention you uh you actually talked about uh Alexis Janerón a little bit uh also Ermil Vokuev Anyone else you'd like to kind of put on a pedestal, pedestal based I on the results? The, the,
2: the, I mean, if we look at the male class first, and I mean, we have, if I'm not wrong, I think we have four five nationalities top 10. That's quite impressive that it's not a Norwegian-Swedish competition. It is um, is actually, we have uh, Arelusa there, with quite good, even results this winter. It's been there sometimes up and down, but I think it's more, more, so say, equal in his performance. Of course, Ermel, a big step forward. Oscar Cardin, I would say, is, is def- definitely taking a big step forward. And uh, uh, Willig Shannon we kind of forget about. He was number nine in the overall. So uh, Maxim Willig Channing was definitely sneaking behind. What should you say, right? We didn't talk about him during the season maybe so much, but he was actually performing in, all over, over the season. So. Um, and I think on the on the women's side, if I'm not wrong, I think we were four nationalities top ten or so. So it's also I'm very happy to see that our struggle to to get more teams and smaller nations than more nationalities getting more international tour all the time. It's is paying off. So um, of course we have to mention uh, Anton Emily Fliet and that was
1: so close with all events, you know, close to winning it feels like. But yeah, well, she took a huge step in her Progression and the development, and uh, that's fun to see. I think she has some some uh, good years in front of her.
2: Yeah, and as you, and as you said, uh, you know, Ebba came in there when the race, when, when Lina was not in front, and suddenly uh, Ebba came from over. So yeah.
1: she has to wait for her first victory, but uh, we are pretty confident that
0: it, it will come. And I think we also should uh, mention Jenny Larsson, yeah, the first victory and that amazing race and, you know, at La Diagonela. Bo-
1: both the youth skiers in Team Ramadan and Ida Dahl as well, finishing second in the overall competition. That's insanely good.
2: The, the, the whole team is, of course, the big uh, exclamation mark for, for this season. And and the French guys uh, that the Roxanne really took a step forward, Alex Nourou, and they actually did something uh, they stayed three weeks after the in um, in Sweden and a hut in And I think they kind of find the team mojo because they were really, you know, uh, improving their results in the end. I think really they they became a team. It feels like in the end part of the of the season. So that'd be really interesting to follow them the coming years.
0: So this certainly has been a really an interesting, a long chat, you know, and recap of the season. We only have one thing left, which is of course the future. And we'll touch upon that next. We are all eager to hear what the future holds for us. I know that you can't really talk too much about it, but you can reveal something. You can tell us a little bit about the uh, the future. You mentioned new people working. Anton is one of them. Uh, the new crew, new new uh, members in the, in, in the team. But what else can you tell us about the upcoming season? And of course, we're all hoping it to be a normal season come 2022.
2: No, but we are, uh, as I said, we have a couple of weeks now. We're launching the calendar on May 15. That's the ambition. If everything goes as normal in the world, or in more normal, it's not normal at all at the moment. But that if it's like don't having new changes in the situation before. May with that ambition to, to release the calendar as always on May 15. Um, we have already mentioned that the change of the media landscape that we actually you know have Swedish television and a bigger focus from um, from the Scandinavian uh, media houses, and uh, that also we put more pressure on on uh, on our tour to make you know make it, the tour even better and to. to Cut off some of the mistakes and make the details more carefully prepared and all this all the time. You know, with TV and international TV, it becomes more focused on the details. So it's something we have to work together with our uh, I think what you will see in the calendar is, is might be uh, some uh, of the good experience of this winter with the back-to-back. It's not impossible that we that come back in the season twelve. So we probably see some uh, some that we have one um, one uh, in the. If, team evaluation every year, we always get uh, some team members and athletes saying that we should go to American Birkebein, or to the US at least, to, to be in North America, because we've never been there. So uh, I'm not saying we're going to do it next year, but it's still one of the things we haven't checked off, which could be some uh, something that could be fun to try one year. And not only try one year, but to, to, to try and then evaluate it, it's uh, you know, something for for uh, the calendar every year. But, um, did I reveal anything, demo, or maybe I didn't?
0: No. The, what I was going to ask you about is like the sort of a major initiatives. Like every year, Wismaski Ski Classic seems to come, come up with that, a new initiative: Grand Classics, Challengers, anything like that in the pipeline or in the works.
2: See, of course, yeah. We have quite an interesting thing concerning the the team how to the different ways to create a team connected to ski classics i cannot say much more now but this is something we are looking on the right time to launch which is already in the drawer so to say that we're actually looking to have different levels we can say of teams uh, we uh, you mentioned the crew we have one for us internally maybe not so much for people outside sea but it's very important with the crew we have internally and our uh, Long-time friend uh, Carl Gustav CG, he is joining us uh, full-time again with the tour from uh, from next season, working with, as a head of, uh, head of media, coordinating the TV customers, etc. It's going to be more focus on on the TV customers. So it's great to have CG back in the team, which is a little behind the scenes but very important person for for the tour. So yeah, I think it's a lot of things going to happen. I'm I'm not I'm not going to reveal the calendar because. Uh, we we'll wait a little bit more, but we have some, I think, exciting news, and we might have some re- new destinations coming in in the beautiful places already next season. But uh, I'm sure we're going to have a good calendar, and but, but we also have to re- be realistic and remember that um, you know this also will be a post-Corona time, or actually next season is quite tough time for some of the for the from a financial point of view for some of the events and the the region supporting the events that they had really. Had to, you know, get back on on their feet after being shut down and having, in some places, two winter seasons uh, basically killed. So, it, it there will be some post-Corona trauma, if if I say like this in the event world, that we have to also be realistic and and do a safe tour, and not not maybe be too. Uh, try two big steps because it's we need to make a, a, a good tour that we know we can deliver.
0: And there's also been some discussions in terms of ex- expanding the brand of Pisma Ski Classics uh, Pro Tour over the summer. Of course, we have the roller ski events, we have some challenger events there, and that won't happen this season, but is that something that could happen or even have a maybe a separate summer roller ski tour?
2: We have the, the challenges you mentioned, and some we have a new roller ski event, Bosta Mölle, for example. Is the, I think the first roller ski is in June, so I, 5th of June, I think. So it must be the first bigger roller ski competition with the, our athletes. Uh, so, I, we will not this season, that I can say, we will not launch, uh, so to say, Pro Tour events in the summer. We, we think the Pro Tour is. Is from uh, December till April from southern to northern Europe, maybe with a step outside of the comfort zone, but um, but still a challenge we want to build over time. It's just the second season, and then we have kind of demolished from Corona both seasons of Challengers actually. So we still uh, need some years to build. It took us maybe 10 years to build uh, the Brutor, and, and uh, it normally takes 10 years to build a new project. So to build the challenge will also take us 10 years, and it's kind of two tough years in the start of that project. We're going to make that one more and more interesting over time. That's the ambition. So, so that the events will be there and hopefully we can work closer with some of the events, making a little bit more maybe media distribution from them and stuff. But uh, we're not looking to have a pro tour in the summer.
0: And then Anton, what does future hold for you? This will be a very different summer. You don't have to wake up and train every morning. You can do it if you want to, but there's no it's not the must do anymore for you.
1: No, it, it will be. It will be different for sure. Uh, but I think I will like it actually. Uh, being able to choose when when I can go out for a exercise or a long run or something, I, that will be that will be uh, something else. But I will try to keep a a, a little bit of shape. I think. <laughs>
0: Do you think that you will be kind of active or stay semi-active, meaning that you might do some races, kind of like Simeon Östersen is actively still doing all, all kinds of things. He participated. Uh, David mentioned the the huge undertaking, you know, that Auckland brother at Auckland and this Auckland date, but Simeon was there. Uh, he did 550 kilometers and he's done some races. A lot of skiers can kind of still stay, stay active. Bjorn Daly did it quite a lot, participated in races. Not that seriously, but still did some races. Do you think that you might continue doing something like that? Or are you just going to completely step outside of racing?
1: I think I will just uh, race against myself. Uh, maybe in some new t- terrain, like in the running or in cycling or something. I don't think I will uh, compete in uh, elite races again. Uh, but uh, I, th- oh, I like to challenge myself. And I maybe... I've started to feel for running or feel for cycling or something and uh, just try to get some personal best there
0: just to keep keep in uh, some kind of shape. Or you can uh, join Oscar's bad. You know, he does all these uh, adventure and uh, you know, sports. You know, the, the sports that they take for, you know, for several days to do.
2: I actually want time to that. He's going to work. <laughs>
0: I was just going to say that. I'm going to work all day long. And then, Anton, what are you hoping, uh, I asked David about uh, your role and kind of your responsibilities, but what are you hoping to achieve in this new position of yours? I'm hoping that I
1: could contribute to continue to develop the tour. Uh, I think it's very good now and I think that we can improve it. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, And of course, Uh, knowing and uh, learning a lot from David and his crew. Uh, I'm also looking forward to that and I'm looking forward to get some new uh, challenges to get a hold on and uh, try to to develop myself and uh, being able to to perform in this area as well.
0: So then as a last question, we talked about a little bit about the next year, uh, but David and Anton, how would you I um, mean, this is a guessing game, of course, but sort of an underlying theme. What could be the underlying theme for next year? If this year was kind of the breakthrough of Team Ramutten and your teammate, Emil Parson, the young skiers performing so well, also Marit Bjorgen coming back, kind of like that.
2: I think, I think uh, uh, change, if we say like this, because for I don't know if it's a coincidence or if it's due to COVID-19, but it's a lot of the kind of good skiers in, in like Peter Lias and Anton Carlson. You have uh, more skiers that kind of, uh, Katarina Smutna. We have uh, a lot of more skiers which are actually stopping, and so it's going to be oh some holes in some of the proteins, and which means that they need to to stay on top. They need to either get skiers from outside the Ski Classics world or they need to kind of trade skiers i think the silly season this year is definitely the most interesting silly season we ever had because we already feel there's a lot of rumors and there's a lot of you know it's more open if some something happened the last years where even moon fjell moved to lager norwegian guy in swedish team oscar Kadin, swedish guy norwegian team and it's happened before but it feels it's more open that actually norwegian skier can move more freely on the on the pro team market if i say like this So i think it's very easy. sort of fun in the summertime on you know reading a book on the beach you can see on the silly season what's actually happening and uh, following that so i think the change is going to be super exciting to see that you know what's lager gonna do what's uh, team Ragdi gonna do of course ramadan gonna keep try to keep their skiers and you know it's and cool thing etc they probably want to take a step back and i understand they're gonna go heavily into next season financially and this so, uh, so i think that one is really interesting to follow you know, how how you know it's gonna be a lot of changes for next season so that i think is the theme changes is that the theme or should it be like a color or something
0: no that's a good theme the change is your theme uh what about you anton what is your prediction what could be the theme for for 2022
1: I'm hoping that this uh, coming season is the season where we can see a lot of uh, a lot of world normal standard world cup skiers uh, entering uh, each event and uh, not only just uh, one event but uh, three or four events maybe I think that this will be the year that we'll see the, the big names from uh, from the world cup also joining us in the uh, Wisman
0: ski classics and we already know that Martin Björgen will continue. And there's a bit rumours uh, that uh, Sundby, Martin Sundby, might be might be doing more.
2: I don't think it's rumours. It's actually quite confirmed that he will join the Tour in a new team. So, and there's a lot of other rumours maybe on the market. But Sundby, yeah, it's a it's a great uh, great skier. It will be very in, interesting to see his level when he can focus hundred percent on it and. And see if we can match Emil and uh, be on even on, on some races on the podium. That will be very interesting to see. But I, I must say, Timo, if I get, I mean, when we're speaking about the changes and stuff, that you know, we in front of the last season, we thought once again that it need to be some kind of decline you know, with Corona, but actually, once again, we were have a record number of skiers, and that's for me unbelievable that we had over. We had 20 more skiers in the proteins than the year before. So we had 313 athletes registered. We have, for the first time, over 100 female skiers in the proteins. And we increased from about 28% female to almost, I think, around 34% female skiers in the tour, which we are working on. We're working to, to the vision is to have, of course, a 50 50 split, which is the only natural vision to have. So. So we're seeing that even if this was a tough year, we see that the, the interest from the athletes are increasing. So hopefully, hopefully we continue that loop even if it's going to be tough because as I said, it's also post-corona season coming up. We must remember that, but hopefully a post-corona season.
0: Indeed. And based on uh, what you guys uh, just said and brought up, I think that next year, my prediction is that next year will be the year of the superstars in our sports. It's always been like that, but more so come 2022. But thank you very much, guys. It's been a long chat, uh, but interesting stuff, a good season. It was really good to recap everything we learned a lot uh, from this season. And for you, Anton, of course, good luck in your new endeavor. And I'm pretty sure you will definitely contribute a lot and bring that athletic perspective uh, into the, uh, the proceedings. And David, uh, we are, of course, eager to hear the calendar come May 15 and find out a little bit more about next season. But for now, I wish you guys a um, happy summer.
2: I think it was a new record time of a podcast, wasn't it, Temo?
0: I think so. It's about two hours now, but uh, good stuff, good stuff. But once again, thank you guys very much. It was really good to have you.
2: Thank you, Timo, and uh, have a nice thank you, thank you. vacation time.
0: This podcast is a W Sports Media production.